Welcome all, Steve Parisi here with IBC Global. Hope your day has been a productive one thus far. So we are here with our good friend Denzel. Denzel, how are you doing today? God bless you, sir. Doing well in the kingdom. Right on, man. I know I mentioned this earlier, but that's a nice shirt. I like the colors there. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so for today's topic, I know uh, typically we talk about you know infinite banking, velocity banking, you know, how you can work the two together. Um, today, we're going to talk about a topic that, that you really want to dig into, which really has a lot to do with policy design and in my mind call it opinions around policy design how to optimize cash value what to look for to make sure we don't trigger a mech or anything like that so let's have some fun with it so i guess to begin because you could you had kind of brought this up um in your interactions interactions with your clients people you've been working with helping coaching in paying off debt designing policy, policies for all that good stuff, you've been running into some some kind of left field objections, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still very young in the business, you know, only two years in, I, you know, I studied the concept for maybe a good six to eight months before I got my first policy. And now that I'm two years into two policies now, one with Mass Mutual, one with Guardian, you know, I am seeing the upfront high cash value performance. I'm seeing the flexibility. So I'm able to witness what it actually can do, what it has done, and what it, you know, should continue to do and, and have that confidence that it will continue to perform. And being able to articulate it in a very transparent way to the, you know, creative financial environment that we're in. Gotcha. No, thanks for, for going into that. And yeah, I know you had studied it before you started your policy personally, and you continue to dig into it. You've got a, you have, in my opinion, the basic understanding beyond the basic understandings of how a policy should be designed really for maximum cash value and then how loans work and all that good stuff, which is very important. So some items you wanted to touch on were really just maximizing cash value, how to maximize it short-term, long-term, how to make sure we never trigger a mech. You wanted to reference your policy. I know you wanted to, to share that, so we'll bring that up. Um, in addition, we might throw some other examples up there as well. And anything else specifically you wanted to touch on? Um, just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll dive yeah. I, I want to go deep down the rabbit hole for the for the clients, for the viewers that love the meat and potato. Gotcha. Not just, you know, stories are, are really good and yeah. uh, people love stories. But I know we've got that nice small group, which really are the ones that buy the policies that want the meat and potatoes. And uh, I want to give it to them today. Gotcha. All right. Let, let's give them some meat. Let's give them some meat. So we can start with. Why don't we start with with policy design when it comes to understanding how to truly optimize the cash value of a life insurance policy? So this had come up when we were talking. You work with a lot of individuals first on velocity banking, but then they want to practice the banking concept, correct? Correct. So what are some of the things you're running into? Is it primarily around policy design, objections of how to optimize upfront cash value long-term? If you want to give me some, some feedback there, and then I'll get into the, the intricacies of policy design, all the fun stuff, which I love. Right. 
So when I'm dealing with clients, I, I always try to relate it to my own personal finances on, on how I'm operating. So if I'm dealing with someone that is, you know, in debt already, bad credit, bad cash flow, you know, just the numbers don't make sense. I don't even bring up the infinite banking right away. I try to position them for that. And um, I know I've mentioned on previous on interviews of my qualifications, you know, I like to see good income, cash flow, 1500 or more per month, good credit, and preferably a debt weapon or a debt tool such as a HELOC, a liner credit, maybe a credit card to help us come up with that max funding amount, even an emergency fund or uh, capital, any free cash flow that's not being used, any cash flow that we can redirect from uh, other assets that aren't performing so well, and we want to get it into a you know a tax-free savings plan that we can end up using later. So, when I look at my own finances, you know um, I don't have any debt, cash flows high, credit's good. I have a debt tool, have high income, and so I figured we could start with just going over my own policy where, and I will just you know, go right into the numbers. Um, you know, you helped me design this with Mass Mutual, which was uh, the first policy that I did. And then we modified it a little bit to allow a higher funding amount. So we are, as of 2020, um, that policy is where we're putting in 15,000 a year is what I'm funding. The base annual premium is $1,500. So we have a base premium of 10% of 15,000. And then in addition, we have this term rider attached to it, which is the LISR or life insurance supplemental rider mm -hmm. for another $1,500. Splendid. And PUA. then we have yeah. a blended PUA, That's what right? And we're yeah. going to go into like that. We're going to go into that exact, uh, meaning there to help our, our viewers really understand it. So we've got whole life base premium. Then we have LISR blend PUA, and then we have ALIR additional life insurance rider, which is another word for PUA. Could that my, uh, on the right pathway there? Correct. Yeah. That's mass mutuals, pure PUA rider. Yeah. And, pure and by PUA rider. Yeah, and, and and by the way, because I know that those are a lot of technical terms for everyone li listening. Um, every company does have different PUA term riders, different components. Some have a mu multiple PUA riders, so every company does have differences. Sometimes minor, sometimes major. Um, so as we go through different company examples, or as we talk about them, it's always good to to keep in mind that things are going to be different with different insurance carriers. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. we've mm -hmm. got, we've got $12,000 going to that ALIR. So that is the, the breakdown of the 15 K. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and for doing that in the, in the very first year, we have roughly what around 85 to 88%, almost 90% Correct. cash value day one yeah. available for me to borrow. Now this is, very critical in my world when I'm dealing with people who have debt and they've hit that point where they're now ready to incorporate the infinite banking concept. The goal is still the same. 
they want to pay off all their debt extremely fast. So if I can provide them with a tool that is very similar to a personal line of credit, to a home equity line of credit, to a credit card that helps accelerate debt faster than debt snowball, debt avalanche, the traditional method, well, having max amount of cash value available in the, in the beginning years with the ability to borrow you know, up to 90%, I would say about 88 or 89% roughly is yeah. what I was able to borrow right out of my policy day one and use that you know, for my clients to have, when they establish a policy, immediately take out loans and go pay off debt that is um, hindering their cash flow, costing them a lot of interest. And all we're doing is essentially consolidating debt, but then we're adding velocity to it, which is speed at which that debt consolidation gets paid off. Yeah. Gotcha. So really, really, um, that's like one of the critical things. And I would say some of the objections I receive is going into like that policy design. Is it, is it wise to do something like a 90-10 split where I have 90% of my money going towards cash, 10% towards the base? Or do I go with some of the, say, the traditional or maybe longer standing uh, ways that other life insurance agents have been designing policies, say, according to the godfather, right? Nelson Nash, where they're doing maybe 60-40 uh, splits or even as low as 50-50, you know, where it's like 50% of my cash right. is going towards PUA and the other 50% is going towards base or it's 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20. Sure. So we know what the range sure. is. I, most of us should, you know, that are, that are well-versed. We know the, the range in the marketplace. You can go as, you can go as low as 90, 10 or as high as 60, 40, anything past 60, 40, I would say you're, you're really destroying the policy in a sense. Mm -hmm. Cause there's, there's no cash for a guy like me. Mm -hmm. that does velocity banking with my clients to help them pay off debt. There's, there's no cash for me to right. really leverage and go pay off debt. So kind of diving into that, you know, that, that design, that split, gotcha. uh, making, making sense of that in an environment where we're kind of the minority, right? Mm -hmm. Where everyone is saying this, are we wrong or gotcha. are we, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Are we modernizing this? Are we, making improvements mm -hmm. uh, due to the low interest rate environment that we're in compared to 20 years ago when mm -hmm. policies were yielding 12 and 13% versus sure. today yeah. when they're at five and six. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I'd be happy to, to kind of shed some light on that area. So, I mean, like my big thing is when you take a cash value life insurance policy, aside from the banking concept or, or any plans of how I want to use that money, when I pay a dollar in, how do I ensure that I maximize that dollar upfront and also long term? You know, my industry background before I was on the sales side and then business owner side, designing policies for corporations, had a lot of insight um, with banks and corporations. Now, if they used a specific Boley product, that's different than what you and I can obtain. But when they put SERP plans in force, which are individually owned, well, 
companies owned by, policies owned by the company on their executives, often those are traditional life insurance policies, just like what you and I can obtain. They would optimize the cash value upfront, and then also when we track the performance of policies that have been in force for a long period of time, talking 20, 30 years plus, we actually saw the performance, hey, here was the net performance on cash value and death benefit over time. And that had nothing to do with any concept that was strictly looking at cash value accumulation on a life insurance policy. To simplify, I put a dollar in, how do I get the most of most out of my money? Which is, in my opinion, the name of the game. I mean, this is people's money we're working with. They want to maximize it. So what's always been consistent is when we pay money into a policy, like you said, it can go towards the base premium or towards the PUA component. And with the larger mutual carriers, you'll see that 1090 about as aggressive as you can go. Um, quick side note, just always you know, being as transparent as possible. Some smaller companies don't have a multiplier. We've actually been able to get it down to like 397 sometimes. Um, we still end up going with one of the typically a larger guy with that 1090. It's more favorable, but some small carriers do in case anyone's listening and we've shown that shown them that before. But if we just make it simple, like with a 1090 design, minimum premium, like your policy, 15,000 in, I've got $1,500 going towards the base premium, a small amount going towards my term rider, that blended PUA, and then plowing everything else into PUAs, optimizing cash value. Is the simple answer is when you look at corporations, how we design policies for that optimized cash value, short-term and long-term. When you look at a cash value life insurance policy and focus on the guarantees, that will optimize cash value short-term and long-term, right? If we're looking at guarantees, worst case scenario, setting expectations at the worst possible level, and then if I have more, I'm happy, that will give the most cash value. And in reality, those policies, again, have delivered the strongest cash values. So, I mean, why I keep mentioning that is looking at cash value accumulation, if one wants the most money possible, that design is typically going to accomplish that. So typically what I'll do when we design a policy, if someone is interested in practicing the banking concept or using retirement income down the road, whatever it might be, my conversation and what we'll educate on is, hey, we can definitely model exactly what that looks like, you know, show, show you some scenarios, policy loans, get into that. But first and foremost, we'll teach you how to maximize the cash value and flexibility of your life insurance policy. Because if you've got more money to work with from start to finish, that enhances everything else you can do. It puts you in a better position. So that was always our focus. And, and you know, what was interesting to me, just to get into a little bit more you know, the, the personal side, is when we designed policies, when I was at the individual firm, prior to designing policies for corporations, the owner of that office had a copy of Nelson's book in there. You know, and that's when I was first exposed to the concept, loved it. And I, hey, this is great. What he would do, though, uh, that particular office was have people read the book and then sell 100% base premium pop products. So what are you doing to people? <laughs> like just, just taking all their cash up front, 100% death benefit. Now, what was interesting though, is people would read the book, 
purchase a policy had nothing going into PUAs. You know, they would use particular verbiage and such. But as we dug more into details there, or I should say as time passed, the one item that would come up where buyer's remorse would be a case where someone said, man, like, I wish I didn't do this, or hey, I saw a better example online, or your competitor showed me a, a stronger policy, had nothing to do with the concept. The concept is great because we can practice that once we have cash value. 100% of the time, buyer's remorse came from lack of cash value, could be the exact same insurance company, meaning I paid money in and then I found out after the fact I could have had more, but I didn't because it was designed in a manner where the agent didn't know or was a higher premium split, which resulted in them getting a higher commission. You know, and I'm not, I don't want to go in and beat up the whole commission thing, um, but when you look at it, that's how policy works. The higher the base premium, the higher the commission, but the higher the base premium, the lesser the cash value for the consumer and to focus on the guarantees only, less cash value for the consumer, consumer start to finish. Questions or anything I didn't cover there that you wanted me to? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's interesting to me that you know when we're when we're researching when we're discovering information how yeah. you know we can read a book and still totally get it wrong, mm -hmm. you know, because we're in a sense as you know I'm gonna pretend to be a customer because I I once was yeah. and now I'm on the other side where I'm you know selling the concept I'm teaching the concept more than trying to sell it mm -hmm. because I know how I know how dangerous the the concept can be if practiced improperly yeah. just like velocity banking velocity banking can be super dangerous for someone if they really do not understand what they're doing like they go to a bank and they go take out a $50,000 HELOC on their home which was say all of the equity that they had in the property and then we experience a COVID event mm -hmm. where you know the market tanks and the real estate we haven't seen a drop yet but when it drops yeah. then my HELOC freezes because the banks freeze up lending mm -hmm. like we're seeing today we see the banks regulating their loans increasing their their requirements for approvals and somebody is getting ready to do velocity banking. They take out a big chunk of money. They do say they over leverage. They, they did a 50 K HELOC and they took out the whole 50 grand to go pay off and consolidate a bunch of credit card debt, car loans, student loans. They put it all into one, but then all of a sudden the HELOC freezes on them because the value in the home is, is propped up. It wasn't actually there. The, the asset was overvalued to begin with. Yeah. Because of the, because we have 10 years of growth. And so then you get a destructive uh, thing like that destroys a policy or destroys the concept, right? So just like an infinite banking policy, um, say, say I have uh, 15,000, like my policy. And if I do the math real quick, you know, if I had um, say 40% of 15,000, which is $6,000 going to base premium and let's say I'm a young kid and and I'm making you know maybe four or five grand a month and I'm cash flowing you know one to two K and that's my job income and COVID hits 
and I lose my income and now I'm not able to keep up with the policy, if I had a 60-40 split, the danger is can I keep up with that minimum base premium, which is the 6K, that's the required amount. PUAs are not required, but the required amount to maintain a policy from becoming a lapse you know, or, or you know, dying is I need to keep funding that 6K. Yeah. Whereas if I had maybe a 90-10 split mm-hmm. where my base premium was only $1,500 and I had 13,000, almost 14, you know, in the first year, and then I lose my job, I only have to worry about coming up with 1500 to keep it in place. Correct. And then when I restore my job, I can always add in PUAs later on, mm-hmm. you know, at a, at, a, at a later time, I let the company know, I make that amendment, and I keep doing my thing. Or I can do a makeup contribution and catch up for lost time. Correct. So I think that is, you know, really, really key when we're, yeah, uh, you know, looking at yeah. worst case scenarios, right? Understood. Best case scenarios. Yeah. I mean, we've got a series on that, our company that is on what if life happens. And to your point with your policy, you're 100% correct where you're more or less committed to the 1500 And depending on the insurance company and product, some companies let you make adjustments one time per year. Some let you just add PUAs whenever you want. So from a flexibility standpoint, whether you're paying in $15,000 per year or $150,000 per year, you can commit to the minimum. Now it never feels like a burden. Life happens. I'm good. Life happens. I can't pay anything. The policy can often pay that minimum premium very early on. We've had people do it after two years, even based off the guarantees, which is pretty sweet. But now I'm getting excited. Point being is that if life happens, you are safer in the early years, especially with that minimal premium. But, you know, another point that I would raise is, you know, you and I might know the best way or different methods to design policies and other agents do too. Like you can set it up in a million different ways and every consumer is different. You know, our whole goal is maximizing cash value, copying what big banks and corporations do on on an individual scale, and then teaching people how to use the money. But my big thing is, you know, if someone wants to see different designs and different companies, like show them. There's nothing wrong, you know, rather than say, hey, this option stinks. Don't go with it. Watch out for the dangers over here. I'm like, well, you know, danger or not, I mean, here's exactly what it is, how it works, pros and cons. Just like you or I were going to buy something from Amazon, show me the different options. With full transparency. Yeah. Rather than just go in, you know, it's like the, those old school sales movies or, or when I used to work for, for companies, whenever a co- competitor would come into play, you know, I remember the managers at the office saying, oh, those count competitors, they stink. They do things wrong because yada, yada, yada. I'm like, don't, don't do that. Just show them your product. I mean, I don't see ads out there where Apple products goes out and beats up Samsung. No, <laughs> they've got a great product. They market it beautifully and they do their thing. A great example of this, and then we'll get back on track, is um, Jeff Bezos with Amazon. He was talking about this the other day. What gave his company such a huge advantage for a period of seven years, you can find this online, through, and it's an interview he had. I forget who it was interviewing him. For seven years, there's no like-minded competitors, meaning they were always hyper, hyper, hyper-focused on their consumer. 
all the competitors were hyper, hyper focused on the competition. <laughs> so they'd always beat each other up. It's like, dude, like what are you accomplishing at the end of the day doing that? A feel good mentality to, to try and like, dude, you, you keep doing that. And then look at Amazon, right? During that period, they just kept on moving ahead and now they beat everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I would say you and I are experiencing that. Mm -hmm. Like we're say, you know, I'm, I'm sure you get some shots, some bashing, you know, and me too, you know, mm -hmm. uh, from a, a, a 23 year old kid that's just stepping into the game, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest player. So I'm the, I'm a fresh target to hit right now. And with those, with those hits, I noticed that my channel exploded Correct. over the last 90 days since COVID, you know, uh, really from the height of COVID around March, when I had like maybe 15,000 subs, maybe yep. I just, I doubled really in, in viewerships and watch time, subscribers, yep. clients, sales, revenues. Mm -hmm. So people were working with me, not just because the policy or the concepts that I teach, but just the fact that they're like, dude, I don't hear you bashing anybody. And it just yeah. turns me like, I, I get this all the time. My clients tell me like, it just turns me off when I hear people, yeah. they get cocky and Can't they do start doing this and that and the other thing. And it, yeah. it, it, it turns off the person from researching more from getting what it is they came looking for. Yeah. You know, so, so coming back to, you know, um, with the policy design, especially mine, um, mm -hmm. avoiding creating a mech, yeah. I believe is the key fundamental yeah. thing. I would say, you know, it's one thing to shoot yourself in the foot. Right. And I, and I know I've made mistakes when it comes mm -hmm. to velocity banking and infinite banking. When it comes to sharing it, explaining it, giving details, it's one thing to shoot yourself in the foot. You can heal from that, but it's a whole nother ball game when you shoot yourself in the heart, meaning you create a mech on your yeah. policy, you kill it. So it's, it's, it's gone and all that time, all that money. Yep. So when we're designing yep. these 90, 10 splits, how do we ensure to the client, not only just on the contract, but just knowledge base for the individual that say puts in 15 grand like me or goes with a company like guardian where i'm putting in seventy thousand dollars a year and, and it's the same the base yeah. is seven thousand it's premium you know so it's the it's the exact same design how do i know that my policy will not become a mech no matter what you know right. what are some of the things yeah. that that you do that your office yeah. does to you know, help that client say, okay, here's what the contract says. Here's what the LISR definition means and the blend PUA. Yep. Um, here's, here how, here's how we ensure that we, we are keeping the risk on the insurance company, which is their role anyway. We don't want to shift all the risk to the client or else we'd be violating the, the fundamental rule yeah. of insurance, which is protect you if you're at a loss. Definitely. How do we ensure that? Gotcha. No, we'd love to go through that. Um, so mech and blended PUA. Anyone you want to hit first? Yeah, let's do the mech. So okay. with yep. Mass Mutual putting in 15,000 a year, my policy, right? 1,500 base, 1,500 blended PUA, and then 12,000 pure PUA. Mm -hmm. My mech limit is $16,046 yep. and a penny. What an oddball number. Yeah. How does the 
agent, say you, because you made that for me. Yeah. How did that number come about? Is it, you know, are you sure running these right. crazy formulas or is it right from the software mass mutual itself that, mm -hmm. you know, or, or are we using third party, say, uh, calculations? I gotcha. Yeah. No. So all the designs we ever do is direct to the insurance carriers, you know, regarding the MEC law, because I can kind of start with a story here because what I'll add, what I'll, I'll start with is whenever you begin to blend a life insurance policy, meaning adding PUAs to it, your risk for a MEC does increase. It does. Now, if you, there's ways to prevent a MEC, there's certain tests you can go through and such to make sure it never MECs. But to start with the story, there was an individual, um, it was a couple of years ago, connected with him. He had purchased a life insurance policy through someone else, um, another agent, good intentions. Um, I don't even recall who the agent was, but it was a, a 40-60 blend, something like that. And when he purchased that policy, the illustration, the agent, everything validated that it would not mech. So he continues to make payments, right? He purchased this policy 10 years ago and he was told, he got an enforced illustration saying, hey, if you continue on the same course that you started with day one, you're going to run into a MEC year 18. And your options are to stop paying then or reduce your payments. And, and that's what happens to a lot of agents too. Um, and it's, it's not really their fault because there's not much training in the insurance industry around MEC laws and the MEC, test, MEC testing. There's not, you, you gotta dig deep. If you work with corporations, you get a little bit of exposure to that. Actuaries know about it, but I mean, you, that's a long conversation and there's a lot of details there. But my point being is here's an individual purchased a policy, original policy and illustration stated the policy would not mech. Now he's going to mech. It's like, hey, what's the difference here? Like I only did exactly as I was told what I could do from day one and now I'm running into an issue. So the reason why that happened is when you look at the MEC limit on any life insurance policy, it has a direct relationship to my age and death benefit, age, death benefit, and gender, right? And then that's the first seven years, whenever I start a policy, whatever my MEC limit is, it is set in stone. Now, as time passes, the cash value has a relationship to the MEC laws, the MEC limit as well, because after the first seven years, that MEC limit is going to reset. And it still resets based off of my age and death benefit. Death benefit's the primary indicator. So without getting too deep into the weeds here, and we've got a, a lot of content on this in our training program, which you've got access to. Um, where we go into the weeds as far as how to stress test a mech and make sure your clients are always set up properly. But what ends up happening is if I buy an illustration, uh, illustration, buy a policy 10 years ago and my dividend rates at 8, 8%, that illustration is going to assume dividends of 8% forever, which is going to show good cash value. And it's going to show a nice death benefit appreciating over time as well. When dividends come down, that means I'm going to have less cash value, which everyone's always focused on. It also means that my death benefit is going to appreciate at a slightly slower rate. Death benefit has a direct relationship to MEC limit. So when people get into trouble sometimes, they'll just look at an illustration based off of the current dividend assumptions and say, hey, it didn't MEC. 
and then dividends come down, death benefit doesn't appreciate the same rate, MEC is triggered. So know that can be complicated and that's just barely scratching the surface when you really dig into the MEC loss. <laughs> Point being, how you can stress test and get it 80% you know, of the way there, and this requires much, much more work on the agent side, is always look at what the policy looks like based off of the present dividend rates, but then does it MEC based off of a conservative dividend? Does it MEC based off of the guarantees only? And the illustration, uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's key, the guarantee is the guarantee. Correct. And there's times too, it can happen in a, a situation between the guarantees and the midpoint. It, when you look at the MEC formula, how it actually works. So the point being that three point check gets you almost to the finish line. There's a couple more steps to take, but it is key looking at that. I mean, if you're stress testing the guarantees, but specifically looking at the MEC tests, meaning does the policy result in a MEC based off of the guaranteed supplemental values at any point in time. And this is some, this is great for any agents listening. Um, just to, if you're planning life insurance for your clients, this is a good piece, just tidbit of knowledge, is not all states provide those reports. Only certain states do. So when we run illustrations, and this is in our training program too, we'll actually disclose, here's the states that will disclose the supplemental guaranteed midpoint values and will a MEC occur or not? A lot of extra work because the software doesn't tell you. You've got to generate the full PDF reports and a lot of times you have to go back and forth a number of times before you get it. It, it Practice and repetition, right? And repetition, mother of all skill, <laughs> buddy Jim Rohn. I say buddy, I never had the privilege of meeting him. But um, point being, there are ways to really dig in and make sure a MEC won't occur. So for example, going back to your policy, you're paying in 15K per year. Overinflate the MEC limit a little bit, 16K. It's always good to build in some space. If someone says, I want to fund my whole life, I'm going to inflate it a little bit more because I'm going to have to. Right. But exactly. Stress so for mine, yeah. So for mine, it's, it, it's 15,000. It's been designed to fund it for 31 years. Correct. At that starting of $16,046 and a penny. Yep. So, you know, kind of. Help me, you know, what what uh, does the system or the software kind of do the work for you in a way where it'll tell you, um, you, know, you set the death benefit this high, mm -hmm. right? And, you, and just to recap, you mentioned that if dividends were to go down, which they have been, mm -hmm. right? With, uh, you know, with, I, I would say over the last 20 years, dividends on whole life policies have been continuously yeah. going down and I'm probably going to to keep going down for a little mm -hmm. bit longer so the worst case scenario so mass mutual is crediting a 6.2 percent dividend right now as a 2020 if my, if the dividend was to go down to like five and a half percent you know or five percent um my policy would still be solid because yeah. we created we created that max space number one correct and the fact that so what about when dividends go up? That has no effect, right? That, that's not a, a bad thing, right? That helps. Um, that helps you more than it. Value, does the cash value grow too fast? Well, and what then it creates a max? Good question. Because what ends up happening if the cash value is increasing from a result of dividends, your death benefit usually is too. 
especially with your specific design, we design policies in a manner. We're looking at, I'm looking at the mech more than anything else. And the cash value just so happens to have performed well too. But if your cash value is increasing as a result of dividends coming up, your death benefit's going to appreciate as well. So the term paid up additions, right? I can purchase that to the PUA rider or I'll elect to have my dividends reinvested into paid up additions. What that term means to be as transparent as possible is it purchases me paid up additional death benefit, life insurance. So if I have a dividend at your age come back of 10 grand, you might see another 30 or $40,000 at your age, $40,000 of additional whole life death benefit come back, which as time passes over the long haul is going to play in to that cumulative mech test, how it works. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, and some might hear this and be eating it up and say, go into more. And then some will hear this and play like, what on earth are you guys talking about? <laughs> because it's it can get complicated. And, you know, that's just for an agent, if your goal is to maximize cash value for someone. Yeah. It's just complicated, right? <laughs> I mean, there's no getting away from stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, for an agent, if your goal is to optimize the cash value, you know, it's good to stress test the mech. I will say if a lot of your clients or individuals you work with or if you're a consumer, you say, hey, I don't want to pay into it forever. Like, I want to fund it to a certain age or 10 years. I've worked with so many individuals where they say, you know, I get with a whole life insurance policy, it may benefit me to pay in forever, but I don't want to. Like, in 10 years, Steve... I'm done. I do not want to be obligated to pay another penny in there, guaranteed non and non-guaranteed. Maybe it's five years, maybe it's seven years. A lot of times people have a desire to fund for a shorter period of time. And then sometimes it's longer. My point to that, tying it back to the mech limits, is if you're if you're funding for a shorter period of time like that, especially seven years or less, it's very, very easy to prevent a mech. You don't need to dig into the stress test as much. Yeah, I would say so. It's more yeah. so of the longer Correct. term. Correct, that's it. So for those, it's for the long-term policies. And so I, I, you know, I listen to other infinite banking people talk about this. And I know Nelson Nash dove into this where basically you'll have some agents that are, they, they are convinced I should be paying this forever. And in a way, I agree with that totally. Yeah. I know me personally, I'm going to fund my policies forever because I don't see a reason why I would stop. That doesn't mean that the person that wants to stop is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does mean is that they are, in a way, sacrificing um, their ability to earn more death benefit when they do actually end up dying because we're all going to die. So we know that for a fact. And then we know that Really, at the end of the day, whoever gets the most cash in wins is really what it boils down to. So if I had a, you know, like a 60-40 design, but it's only it's only designed to max fund, say, my amount, 15K with the with a with a six thousand base premium, and I set it up to do 15K for 10 years and then just pay in 6K forever, that is not going to perform as well well as 15k for 1500 for 30 years right because i have the ability to do that whereas with a, a 60 40 where we only have the pure pua 
a much smaller term because you don't need that much term because you have most of your money going in or, or a big chunk of your money mm-hmm. going towards the whole life. So you don't need all that term. And I can see what the, I, you know, I, I was hearing what the objections of, you know, some of my clients tell me, oh, you know, having a, having a term is no good because your, your dividends pay for that in a sense, because we're doing a blend PUA. So yeah. kind of, you know, getting into that little, little yeah. meat, some more meat on that right there. Gotcha. Yeah. My, my, when I talk to my client, I'm like, well, which would you rather do have more money in cash or more money in a base premium that will most likely yield a stronger dividend, right? Mm-hmm. So if you got a hundred grand growing at 8% and I got a hundred grand growing at 8%, but your net internal cost is 40% and mine is 10%, who wins? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I would win mathematically. You would, you know? You, you- you would, yeah. No, and I mean, what's interesting, so our, our podcast we have, and I've talked to, to Scott Witt on this, which, by the way, I mean, if you are looking for kind of like an independent third party to analyze a cash value policy that has no incentive on selling you a policy, just understands it from an actuary's perspective, and his firm specializes, their number one focus is maximizing cash value, company selection design. Um, I'd highly recommend him. We've had a couple podcasts with him. But he, the inside joke, I was talking to him about this once, um, that he would call these blended PUAs when you juice a policy. He's like, dude, that was like the actuary's choice. He didn't use the word dude. <laughs> but he's like, that's the actuary's choice. Like that's that was our inside joke. I mean, that, that gave you the most cash value. Like, like, that ends it. Like we're actuaries. We know how these things work. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, all right. <laughs> I mean, that I, I'm with you, Scott. I 100% agree, but that's the stuff that comes up sometimes. I mean, here's how I look at it. That blended PUA rider, where it has a risk is if I attach it and underfund a policy and I neglect it, I don't remove the term rider. If, if things just go south because an agent makes a sale, disappears, client underfunds it, you can get into trouble there. It'll function kind of like a universal life policy. But at the same time, yeah, but at the same time, it also allows you to enhance the policy to the the highest degree possible in terms of maximum cash value. You can really drive your premium low. When you look at the contract language of a lot of insurance products, when those riders are attached, it expands how much I can add into PUAs. It helps you boost the MEC limit. But really... When we take that rider, how it functions is it's a one-year renewable term rider, which means each year that I grow older, the cost per unit of term insurance increases. However, as I pay money into the product, my whole life death benefit increases. I'm going to illustrate a seesaw effect here. As I pay money into the product, whole life death benefit goes up, term rider comes down, net cost often comes down based off of the current insurance expenses. There's also a guaranteed element as well. But my point to it, it's it's good to be aware of the pros and cons of it like anything. And there's times level term riders work as well. Uh, there's individuals we work with that use those. It's not just to say this blended PUA rider is the best every single time. How I would look at it, I'd go back to the the Amazon analogy. Look at everything. Yeah, if someone wants to see different options, like 
Like I wanted to see every option. I was that guy sitting there looking at every single insurance product with every single blend, spent I don't know how much time on it, analyzing it, first illustrations, and then started to dig into policies that were able to get a hands-on of policies that actually lived the test of time, some before I was born, to say, okay, here's how this one was designed. Look what it produced. Hey, look at this guy. Mostly for corporations or executives that said, hey, Here's my whole life product that I had forever, and we got to dig into it. But yeah, the blended PUA rider, I mean, I like it. I use it myself, studying the guaranteed and non-guaranteed values. Like that always puts puts one in a very good position. When I say I use it, I mean for my personal policies. Um, but I, I mean, it's all about comfort level. If someone looks at it and says, hey, I get it. I get everything you're doing here, but I'm not comfortable. Just like you and I can prove out why it might make sense to stretch your debt out. And then you're saying, hey, pay it off sooner. But I say, hey, you can save more cash flow if you stretch your debt out. The person says, I got more peace of mind if I go this direction. So I'm going to go this direction. I don't care if I I make more, lose some, like whatever. I'm like, okay. But if you're aware of it, that prevents you from coming back to me and saying, man, you snake, you didn't show me this and now I'm upset, I'm upset with you. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't want that, man. No, we'll show you exactly how it works. I've, I've, I've learned as <laughs> I talk to higher, higher net worth clients that have a lot of debt, sometimes it makes absolutely no sense to spend all that time paying off debt because they could be focusing their time on creating more wealth creating more income. So the conversation does shift, you know, pay off debt or invest. Um, It really boils down to someone's capacity to handle um, debt management. You know, as long as you're paying your debts on time, you know, you're good. But if it, if it doesn't make wife happy that we're in debt, that the house is in debt, you want to make sure wife's happy at the end of the day. So you want to satisfy her needs. Now, if you're a single man or you're just kind of soloing it, whatever, you can particularly handle that doesn't stress you out. So if debt is stressing you out, yeah, we want to pay that off, man, because it's affecting your performance to make more money. Yeah. And so with a, a, so coming back to the the whole life policy here, you had spoke about the term rider. Mm -hmm. So to clarify, you've got level term that Mm -hmm. does not go down in value stays the same. Mm -hmm. Then you have annual renewable term, or another word for it is one year term. Yeah. Would that yeah. be an, and then there's decreasing term in a sense, which is what we're playing with, correct? Okay. Yeah, it's the same in thing. In a way? Yeah, so it's a one year term rider. The, the, the net, the cost per unit for the total death benefit of the term that's attached to the policy increases each year as I grow older. However, the term rider amount, the actual amount of life insurance, so a million death term. Benefit. Death benefit went down to 900. A lot of times, if you design it right, your net cost goes down. And even there's times we design it where it goes up a little bit because it results in me with more net cash value at the end of the day. Like, I don't care if I spend another five grand in term if I saved 35 grand over on a base premium expense and then I end up with more cash value. Right. So that's pretty interesting. So, going to comparing a 90 10 to 60 40. The guy that pays six grand, same same numbers here, 15K we're putting in is my policy. Yeah. If I'm paying 1500 in base premium and I'm paying maybe another 750 in term life, like that's a lot you. cheaper or 250. So 250 for me. Yeah. So instead of paying 
um, what's 6,000 minus 1,500 real quick. So that's $4,500 in base premium that I saved. I didn't have to, um, you know, spend. And then the final point that I bring up to a client is I say, well, wait a minute. If your base premium is $6,000 and you're putting in the same amount of money as I am, according to a 90-10 split, if my base premium was $6,000, I'll be able to get in $60,000 into a policy. So if we're going to compare or try to do an apples to apples comparison, I try to let my client know, if you're going to pay for a premium that high, why not have the ability Correct. to put in more money? So does, so, so start off with your 15K and have your 6K base premium but create an extremely large mech to go up to 60 grand. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And so that's when I, I said, okay, I got to have a second policy now. So I have a 15 K and now I got a, a 70 K because I realized I said, okay, uh, I'm going to put in 70 K for this amount of years. Cause I know this is what I can do. And I have this whole range, yep. you know, to, to go mm-hmm. from. So that's, that's kind of like, um, yeah. you know, how I like to put that perspective into place where it's like, yeah. okay, sure. You're probably, um, you know, having a higher, or most likely a higher, stronger dividend performance on the, on the base premiums, which I know you, you speak about often, but the problem is you can't, in, you can't put in any more money than I can right. same 15 grand. So I think that's where uh, people get caught up is in the, the, the premiums, the, the design. I try to let people know, well, what's the max amount of money I can put in? Because whoever can put in the most will win, no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah good point. Uh, 100% accurate. Yeah, you know, and I think what it is, just because there's so much info out there, and I don't think anyone's doing anything malicious. The main thing is when I say, you know, other agents, you know, that's not, not often the intention. You know, they, we're all just trained in a certain way. How do we put everyone in the best possible position? Listeners hear us and 10 other people and say, okay, you've got conflicting opinions. I want to make sure my money's safe as the consumer. Like, I, I just want it set up right. I want to get the most value and I don't want to run into issues down the road. Like, that's the big thing. That, that's, that was my thing. I guess that's why I'm expressing it in that manner. And my thing is like, okay, well, we can definitely show all the options. I love doing that. Just like, you know, I envision it if you could buy a cash value life insurance product on Amazon and see different models of how to optimize the cash value, guaranteed, non-guaranteed, whatever, Mac, all that good stuff. Like if Amazon could do that, like, all right, that'd be perfect. Then I don't got to talk to anyone and get opinions. Like it is what it is, bro. Like it's what it is. It's what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. So I, and I, so to your to your point from before <laughs> the, the 60 40 or 70 30 so see, higher see. higher base premium doesn't necessarily mean that you'll avoid a mech no correct? we've seen people run into mechs there yeah and it all, that has more to do with the mech laws than it do it does to do with the design looking at the death benefit over time yeah no which is a, a great point yeah no it's the the premium blend doesn't have much to do with the mech it's the initial death benefit and how you came to that that final factor um but again you know you can forecast that and do your due diligence for a client 
we can definitely do it with you if you'd like to reach out to Denzel or I. <laughs> um, but again, seeing all the options, if, if we're brand new to it and we haven't dug into it, say, hey, I'm looking to put in, it could be a simple number, 10 grand per year. What's it look like with a, a 1090 split, a 4060 and a 100% or any kind of blend? And then mech testing, guaranteed cash value, non-guaranteed, kind of like the case um, that, that I sent you yesterday where you're working on. We looked at the guaranteed, non-guaranteed, three different companies, different blends, in-depth analysis. But the individual wants to know. Like they, they want to know. And, and my thing is like I don't want – yeah – and I guess this is just more of a, a personal thing. Like I don't want to not show someone because it creates extra work for me. I'm like, no, it, it's their money you're dealing with. A lot of it too. Yeah. You can't just say, well, you don't want to do it this way because it's bad. It, you know, that that's a big reason why I decided not to work for people. They didn't give the extra information or answers. I got frustrated and branched off on my own. And I always had to dig for it more or talk to individuals that – didn't care who, where I worked for, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But it, like, it's 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 all right to give more information, you know. And if you have to give up your commission as a result, when I say give it up, minimize it. That's okay, and that comes back to doing the right thing for someone. You're always going to do fine if, if you, you put, put them first. first yeah, don't even worry about the money. Like that. That's the thing. Like this. I tell my wife about this just with what's been going on, how we've kind of been like hyper growth mode. And it's like, okay, it's fun. It's exciting to build a business. It's like, it's not even about the money. Like that's not, not the purpose. You know, it's the driver. Like how, okay, how do you keep moving it forward? The money that'll come. That'll come. And if you talk to any big time CEO or business owner, you'll hear the same thing from them. They don't do it for the money. They don't need the money anymore. They don't, they've got enough of it. Right? They've got a different purpose driving them. But, you know, my thing is just see the options, um, the emotional stuff. You know, that's how I'll, I'll come back to Amazon. You know, if you look at Jeff Bezos, he does not go and attack people and even defend himself. He just makes everything transparent. Right. Um, then you look at Dave Ramsey, extremely emotional. Anything that goes against his way of doing things is garbage and he doesn't actually address it. And that will attract some people. It, it, well, obviously because he's very big. But at the same time, it's going to going to repel some individuals as well. You can say, Dave does all right. What's he worth? 20 million, 50 million bucks? He's 50 million. Um, he's worth 50 million bucks. All right. Jeff Bezos is worth what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he ain't doing that snowball concept. So, you know, it, it, it goes to show the different levels of finance. And this is something that In I try mindset. to let people know. Yeah, yeah, my channel is you have different levels of finances you know there's a level one there's a level two it's like playing a video game you yeah. know once you beat level one that's level, level one's done you know, yeah. now you go to level two and and then as you get higher and higher you you begin to see a different caliber of wealth yep. there's yep. people that simply save to preserve right mm -hmm. and then you have people that invest take higher risk they build things for their own for their own self and they manage their own money, you know? And when I look at a, a Ray Dalio, yeah. a Tony Robbins, yeah. a Grant Cardone, you know, I see the, the drastic difference in wealth compared to a Dave Ramsey, a Susie Orman, you know, or other individuals like in that realm. I'm like, okay, you, you might be worth a couple mil, but this guy Grant, 
and and this guy Tony. I mean, these guys are are damn near billionaires. Different. You know level. what? Yeah. They're not talking anything on that capacity like these guys are talking. What did I miss? Yeah. You know. So I, I think it's important Different that level. people know where they're. People should know where they stand, where they want to go, where the end, eventually where the what the end goal is for the personal finances. And when we're looking at the infinite banking concept, really determining you as a person, do you want the ability to go long, play the long game? Or are you more so just trying to get in a, an extremely large amount of money in a short period of time, mm-hmm. lock it up, right? Reduce paid up or stop paying altogether yeah. or let the policy yeah. pay for itself and just have a, a ever increasing line of credit options. to go buy real estate with, you know, yeah. options. That's all you're doing. So that's Showing that, options. Yeah. And just, yeah, I would just con- continue to do that. Um, and you'll be fine. I mean, individuals want to see options. You're in the information any age anyway, so they're going to get options no matter where they are. <laughs> if you don't give it to them, they're going to get it um, in one way or another. But yeah, no, this, this is, this has been good. No, I, thanks for, for mentioning this earlier as a topic to talk about. Um, and, and all the technical details, for listeners on, on either side, um, if you have questions as far as the, whether it's the MEC laws, blended PUAs, the detailed, detailed stuff, we've got a ton of content with visuals, you know, going through software and such. Um, if you'd like to see that, just reach out to Denzel or I, we'll direct you to the right videos on our channel because I know it can be deep and visuals. I'm a visual guy, as you very well know, Denzel, it helps. So we create a lot of content that provides visual support. That's right on our YouTube channel, actually, IBC Global Inc. Awesome. This has been powerful. I think we, we, we dove real deep and I can, I really look forward to keep going deeper because yeah. I think, I think people, especially in this creative financial space, they are watching the longer mm-hmm. videos. They're sitting, they're binging, they're taking the time mm-hmm. to get it right Yeah, because they're so done with these same old same old methods and you know stuff that has been promoted and marketed but just hasn't historically worked and you know they're just really seeking truth and i love seeing that because it it motivates me to spend the hour or even two you know or an hour and a half consistently giving that information up front Mm -hmm. and then you ultimately saying you know what i like this guy I like this girl. Yep. I like this man. I like this woman. And I'm going to, I'm going to move forward with them. Yeah. And, I, and ride that wave. I'm with you. And to simplify my big things, copy the people that already have it figured out. Big banks, corporations, wealthy individuals. And that's really, we did it from day one and we're still doing it. I mean, at the end of the day, all the details I love and I get motor mouth talking about it a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's the short answer. Hey, the way we put them together that's how those those uber wealthy individuals do it. Right. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks as usual so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Love that shirt too. Nice colors. My my wife Tara will like that a lot. I'll, I'll let her know or I'll show her the podcast when it's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, certainly. But really appreciate your time and thank you to everyone listening. We'll talk to you all soon. God bless. All right. Thanks, Denzel.